Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We're very thankful for the opportunity to be together tonight, to be encouraged through a period of worship, to have the opportunity to fellowship with one another. We're going to be looking at the passage that was read just a moment ago by Jordan, and we're going to be talking about the theme, Helping Hands. One of the great things about Christianity is that it is composed of people who willingly support one another. In Acts chapter 2, following the birth of the church on Pentecost Day, the Bible tells us that the early disciples continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. And no doubt one of the things that they derived from their fellowship with one another as members of the body of Christ was the support, the encouragement that they gave to one another. I want us to look at Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13 tonight. We want to read an account, look at an account, whereby the people of God, having been delivered out of Egyptian bondage, we find them in a battle with the Amalekites. And so we're going to note this text and try to derive some lessons that are contained therein. First of all, I want you to note with me the struggles that these people faced, the battle. In verses 8 through 10, Moses records these words. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. The first thing that we see has to do with their fight with the Amalekites. If you look back in history, you will see that the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. And of course, the Edomites, they came forth from the, the lineage or the seed line of Esau. And if you look at the Old Testament particularly, you will find that they were bitter enemies with one another. The Amalekites, the Edomites, they, they were enemies of the Israelite people, and here we find them in battle with one another. If you look forward in history a little bit over in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you recall that God had said through Samuel the prophet, he told Samuel to go to King Saul. And King Saul was instructed to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And of course, a lot of that had to do with their relationship with one another and the ill treatment of the Edomite people with, the Amalekite people with God's people. So we see the struggles that they faced, their fight with the Amalekites, but what I want us to see has to do with our fight with the adversary. Whether we realize it or not, here were people, God's people, they had been in Egyptian bondage, they had been delivered by the hand of Almighty God. Moses, as you recall, was the great leader and lawgiver of Israel. He would ultimately receive the law of God on Mount Sinai. Moses and Aaron had a part in God's people being delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh and ultimately crossing the Red Sea. But here we find them having been delivered. In chapter 15, we read of the song of deliverance that they sang before Almighty God. And now they're engaged in battle once again. Well, you and I as people of God, we too are involved in battle. 
And I think one of the things that we need to, that we need to appreciate as God's people is the fact that we need to live with the expectation of doing battle with the devil, with our adversary. A lot of times people within the body of Christ fail to understand that they are at war. You and I, we are in the heat of battle. The battle that we're talking about is spiritual in nature. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that our conflict, our war, our spiritual war, is not carnal in nature. And, and I think sometimes we miss that. You and I, as the people of God, we are engaged in battle. The devil is doing everything within his power to destroy our faith. Peter, of course, talks about how the, the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 said, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. De the devil is out ultimately to break our faith, to destroy our faith. But not only are we to expect to be involved in a battle with the devil, but we need to equip ourselves to battle the devil. You look at the people of God and, and you look back to the history of the Israelite nation. Here were people that were well equipped to engage in the battles that that ultimately came before them. We talk about them going into the land of Canaan and displacing the nations. Well, they had able leaders and they had God on their side. And what the Lord wants from us is that we equip ourselves so that we might meet the enemy and ultimately prevail. And in looking at the conflict that took place between the Israelites and the Amalekites, ultimately they prevailed. But I want you to note with me in the second place the strain that he felt, and this has to do with Moses. Look again at verse 10. Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. And the idea here is that he became weary or burdened. And if you look at the lesson text, you'll find that as Moses records here, as long as his hands were held up, as long as the the rod of God was in his hands and his hands were, were held up, the Israelite nation they were winning, they were prevailing. But when his hands dropped or drooped, what happened? Well, the Amalekites, they prevailed. And so the idea here is that, that the hands of Moses became heavy, they became tired. What's the lesson there for us? Well, I believe that as you and I live the Christian life, as we fight the good fight of faith, as we engage in battle with the devil, sometimes we become weary, sometimes we become tired. Sometimes our hands become heavy. And so you might ask the question, in what ways do we become weary in our fight with the devil, in our fight for what is right? Let me give you some, some I believe, some things that sometimes lead to our weariness in our struggle for what's right. Number one, difficulties. We talked a little bit about this this morning when we talked about tribulations or trials and and 
the various things that we face in this life. James said in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into manifold trials. Those trials can be anything from anything ranging from disease or illness to economic reversals to the loss of a job, you name it. But I think about the difficulties that we face as God's people in our work for his cause. Look at Moses. Moses was, as I said a moment ago, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. Here he is holding the rod of God in his hands. He's got his hands up, held high. He becomes tired, and so what happens? His hands drop. Those of us within the body of Christ, each and every one of us are essential to the ongoing work of the church. It's very easy for us to allow difficulties, whatever, whatever those difficulties may be, to infringe on our work in the kingdom of God. I said a moment ago that Moses was a great leader. In the church today, we have leaders, don't we? We have elders. We have deacons who are special servants. They have special functions that they carry out on behalf of the eldership in service to the Lord and the congregation. We have evangelists. And then we have every member. Sometimes elders, sometimes leaders in the church become wearied by their own difficulties as, as a result of life. I, th I think sometimes we have the idea that elders don't ever have any problems, that, that preachers don't ever have any problems, that deacons don't ever have any problems. I guess we could throw in song leaders as well. The fact of the matter is, all of us face difficulties in this life. We don't live in a glass, I mean, we, we don't live in a bubble. And, and difficulties can come. Here is Moses, this great spiritual leader, and he becomes tired or weary. Do you think that elders ever get tired? Do you think in fighting some of the battles that they're involved in on a regular basis, do you not think that those things can weigh on them heavily? Absolutely. And, and, and by the same token, you and I, by virtue of the fact that we live in this world that is subjected to trials and tribulations and difficulties, sometimes those things can weigh so heavily on us that we become wearied and tired and we do not execute the work of Almighty God. We allow those things to, to hinder us in our, in our work for what is right. Let me give you a second reason why sometimes we become weary in our battle with the devil. This has to do with our duties, and of course, these are interconnected. But listen, if you would, to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul said, Be not weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think with me for a moment about the work of the church. Again, you have elders, you have deacons, you have evangelists, you have every member. Each one of us are vitally important to the cause of Christ. You and I, we have a tremendous task. We are servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sometimes 
we become weary or tired because we are involved on a regular basis in the work of the church and, and so we, we want to quit. We want to give up. We, we want to break. We want rest. Well, I, I think that when you look at what Paul said to the, to the saints in Galatia, there has always been a tendency within mankind to grow weary in doing his job, in doing good. Have you ever heard somebody who has been involved in, in, a, in well, well, let's say in, in an educational program and they're teaching on a regular basis and they'll say, I just need a break. I understand that. I understand that we need a break from time to time. The problem, however, comes when we excuse ourselves from the service of Almighty God and then we do not get back involved in the work of the church. Listen, all of us have responsibilities. All of us have duties to, ex to execute. All of us have things that we have to do on a daily basis. And, and, and really, sometimes I, I think we have the idea that we're burning the candle at both ends and we don't have time to do certain tasks within the church. I don't think the Lord's going to hold it against us if we burn the candle at both ends. I don't think he's going to be upset with you. As a matter of fact, what I think we need to do is dig deeper. I think we need to dig deeper and realize that we have duties to do. There is a time to work. There is a time to rest. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. He's talking about death there. Jesus had a work to execute. As long as Jesus was on earth, what was he doing? He was working and laboring and serving and preaching and teaching. Did he ever withdraw from the masses to, to, to rest, to, to enjoy some refreshment? Absolutely. But it wasn't a full-time deal. In, in other words, he didn't just extract himself from his work for an extended period of time. You need rest? Take some rest, but get back involved in the work of God. And so, do we become weary? Absolutely. Yes, we do. And, I would, and, and let me just make this observation. When, when, we, when we talk about becoming weary in our battle with the devil, in our, in our battle for what's right, in our work for the cause of Christ, all of us have to assume a certain amount of the load. It's not fair for a few people to do all of the work. I understand this 80-20 rule, and the 80-20 rule is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's not right. It's not right, it's not fair, and we shouldn't expect somebody else to do our work for us. We can't serve in the kingdom of God by proxy. When we talk about working in the kingdom of God, we're talking about each and every person being involved in the work of the church. Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. Do you get tired? Yes. Then rest but get back involved in the work of God. But then a third thing, discouragement. Discouragement can bring us down. The Bible tells us that Moses, his hands became heavy. I think about elders. Do you think elders ever get discouraged? 
I think they do. You think deacons ever get discouraged? I think they do. You think preachers ever get discouraged? I think they do. I, I want to say a couple of things, and, and I hope I can convey this to you in, in, a, in a concise way. Serving as an elder in the Lord's church or serving as a deacon, as a special servant, being involved in the overall work of the church is not easy. And unfortunately, one of the things that leads to discouragement is criticism. You understand what I'm saying, criticism? You know what criticism is? There are some people, I believe, they live to criticize. I remember when I decided I wanted to preach, one of the things my grandmother was really worried about was could I take the criticism? Well, fortunately, I haven't had to deal with a lot of criticism. I've had some critics, but by and large, I have, have remained unscathed. But there are some people in the church who are criticized and who, who hear complaints on a regular basis. Sometimes those complaints are directed at elders. Sometimes they're directed at deacons. Sometimes they're directed at the, at the preacher. Sometimes they're directed at, at fellow members. Discouragement can kill the church. It can kill the work. Criticism, critics, if you please, can kill the church of Christ in a local, congrega in a, in a local area. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Hebrew writer talks about how we are to look unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has ultimately sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In verse 3 of chapter 12, the Hebrew writer said, For consider him who endured such contradiction from sinners, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The Holy Spirit there, I believe, inspired God's man to record those words. And the bottom line is the Holy Spirit understood that those of us within the body of Christ can become, can become discouraged in our work for the cause of Christ. Some have said that as, as a parent, we need to encourage our children more than discourage. I've heard it said that for every negative thing that we say to a child, we need to offset that with 10 compliments or 10 positive things. I understand there's a balance there. But if you look at the history of Israel, and we're talking about the Israelite nation, Again, the, the picture here is of Moses. Moses becomes tired, his hands become heavy, and so they drop. Have you ever thought about what Moses had to endure as the leader of the people of God? I, I plan to do a lesson, the Lord willing, on murmuring and complaining sometime soon. It's amazing to me to note that here is, here is Moses, this great leader of the people of God. He has thousands of people under his direction. And do you know what happens over and over again? 
You have these people that had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. They had seen the goodness of God. Moses records in Exodus chapter 19 how God had borne them on eagles' wings and brought them unto himself. Do you not think God, the God of heaven, was willing to take care of these people? Do you not think through his providential care he was going to see them through to the promised land? And yet what did they do time and time again? They demonstrated unbelief when the spies went out and surveyed the land. And then they complained and murmured and carped about this and about that. We don't have water to drink. We don't have this. We don't have that. Let me tell you what. That is a mirror of members of the body of Christ in some respects. You understand what I'm saying? We complain about this. We complain about that. We murmur about this. We murmur about that. And let me tell you what. It gets discouraging. I wonder how many times our elders leave this building and everything that has been said to them has been negative. I didn't talk to them about this lesson. I'm just speaking this from my heart. But I know they get worn thin on a regular basis. And some of it is so petty and so trivial, it is a joke. It's a joke. If you don't have something good and positive, I understand that there are times when we need to be critical of something. But in many respects, sometimes we complain and carp about this and that, and it doesn't amount to anything. Nothing. How productive do you think that is? We talk about discouragement. Look at Mo Moses. You remember when, when the people complained because they didn't have water to drink? And God said, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He took that rod and he slapped, as we would say, the fire out of that rock. Guess what? Moses was prohibited from entering the, in, into the promised land. I've thought a lot about that. And I've come to the conclusion I can understand why Moses hit that rock. I think Moses had, I, I think Moses had a belly full of God's people. He had had enough. He was up to here with their carping, complaining, and belly aching. And so he went too far, and we can go too far. The, the reason I say this is because if you read the scriptures over and over again, we read about this problem of murmuring and complaining, and it ultimately leads to discouragement. We talk about becoming weary in our battle with the devil, in our battle for what is right. Try to be positive. Try to see the glass half full as opposed to half empty. Try to, to encourage, inspire, not just our elders and deacons, but inspire one another. 
Encourage one another. Let me give you a fourth thing that I believe leads to weariness. And I, I have simply titled it disgust. In Proverbs 14, verse 34, the Bible says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Are you concerned about the direction of our society? I think the answer would be yes. Are you concerned about the moral fiber or lack thereof of our nation? The answer would be yes. Are you concerned about the problems that are emanating out of Washington? The answer would be yes. All of us are concerned. We're concerned because America is not heading in a direction that we feel comfortable with. My grandfather died in 1968, and I was just a boy. I don't think my grandfather would recognize America today in many respects. But even though it can be disheartening and disgusting to see what's going on in our nation, I think as God's people, what we have to do is remember, look, we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. What we need to do is do what we can, when we can, where we can, as long as we can. God is still in control. He is still on his throne. The psalmist said in Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigneth. Daniel said, the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. God is still involved in the affairs of mankind. Whether we realize it or not, God is still in control in this nation. If God decrees that this nation survives another million years, so be it. If God decides that this nation is to fall tomorrow, so be it. Do I want to see that happen? Absolutely not. But if it does, we'll make the best of it. Why? Because God is in control. And we believe that. And so, it's easy to get discouraged because of things going on in our nation. But I've just listed some things that I believe lead to weariness in our battle with the devil. There's a third thing I want you to see with me in our text. This has to do with the support he found. That is the support that Moses found. And really what we're talking about here is a blessing. First we see the aid that was rendered. Look if you would. <clears throat> Look again at verse 11. The text says, So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. What did they do? They came to his aid, didn't they? Here's a soldier in the Lord's army. Here is their great leader. And he's weary, he's tired, and so what are they doing? One's on one hand, the other's on the other hand, and they're holding up his hands. And ultimately, it's going to lead to victory. Why do I say that? Because I believe as God's people, we need to aid one another. Why? Because we are in a battle. Because we are at war. We are involved in the greatest work on earth. Let me tell you what. The work that we're involved in right here in Olive Branch, it's greater than the work going on in the White House. Do you believe that? It is more serious 
than what's going on in Washington, D.C. Though they may not see that, it is that serious because we're talking about the souls of men and women hanging in the balances. We're doing everything that we can to keep people saved in the body of Christ, keep them steadfast. And then we're doing everything within our power to reach out to the unsaved and bring them in. We have a tremendous job to do. And so we gotta, we've got to aid one another because, because as God's people, we become weary and tired. Our hands hang down. And so what we need, we need somebody on one side, somebody on the other side, and we need them to hold us up in the work. We need to do that for our elders. We need to do that for our deacons. We need to do that for one another. Why? Because we are to be concerned about one another. Let me give you three ways that we can aid one another. Number one, effective prayer. I would encourage you to get down on your knees and pray for each other. We ought to pray for one another every day. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Look, if you would, at how often the Apostle Paul talked about praying for those he loved. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? You say, yes, pray for them. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, he said, brethren, pray for us. Our elders, they need your prayers. They need our prayers. Our deacons, they need your prayers. They need our prayers. Every member needs our prayers. We can pray for one another. Let me tell you a second thing we can do. We can, we can use encouraging words. Anybody can discourage. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can complain. What we need to do is encourage. The wise man said in Proverbs 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken. That is the right word at the right time. So it's like apples of gold and pictures of silver. In other words, it's of great value. You will never know what a kind word, an encouraging word will do to somebody. You see somebody doing something good, somebody doing something that's positive, then guess what? Tell them you appreciate it. Tell them thank you for a job well done. Instead of nitpicking something to death, say thank you. Say, I appreciate that. Say, listen, I love you as a brother or a sister, and I appreciate everything you do for the cause of Christ. Effective prayer, encouraging words, and then a third thing, encouraging deeds. Listen, if you would, to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, verse 2. He said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know anybody in this congregation hurting? I know a lot of people in this congregation hurting. I know a lot of people in this congregation that have any number of problems. How can we help them? Well, we can help bear their burdens. We've had some that have lost loved ones. You know what Paul said? Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. You and I have so many opportunities to engage in good works. Let me tell you what. Identify somebody that you know that has a problem, that has something ongoing in their life. You know you can minister to them. You don't need, you don't need to ask the elders if you can do it. Just do it. They'll be thankful to God that you took the initiative. 
There are certain things that maybe they want you to do. And when they come to you and ask you, can you do this? Here's what you need to say. Yes, sir, absolutely. And let me just say this. Sometimes people will complain about something within the body of Christ. And the person they're complaining to will say, well, would you help in this? And you know what the answer is? No, I don't want to help. You're either a part of the problem or you're a part of the solution. What we need to do is, we need to be sitting on go for the cause of Christ. If somebody asks you, if you can do something, if it's within your power, do it. And as the wise man said, do it with all your might. Encouraging deeds. I mentioned a little bit about this this morning. The work of the church is extremely important. And I fear sometimes that people tend to put the work of the church on what I call the back burner. And by that I simply mean in their mind it's not, it's not that important. It's important but it's not that important. It's not more important than what I've got going on in my life. Let me tell you what. The work of the church is the most important thing in your life. If it's not the most important thing in your life, something is wrong. If we can't work for the cause of Christ, and I understand that we are, we're the choir group here tonight, so to speak. But if we're not working and laboring and we're not setting the example, some of those who are coming only Sunday morning, do you think they're going to do anything? I'm trying to get them to come back on Sunday night, to come back on Wednesday night. And so it takes time, it takes effort, but we've all got to work together. <clears throat> so encouraging deeds, encouraging words, effective prayer, the aid rendered. But then finally, the achievement realized. By supporting one another, guess what? They were victorious. If we support one another, if we work together, if we do what God would have us to do, we're going to be victorious. You want to go to heaven? You expect to be in heaven one day? I can promise you, chances are, if you are in heaven one day, you will not get there by yourself. You're going to have to have somebody helping you along the way. It might be your mate. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your mother. It might be your father, your brother, your sister. It's going to be somebody standing by you, pushing you, supporting you every inch of the way. Now look at verse 13. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. How did they do that? By working together. How can we capture Olive Branch for the cause of Christ? By working together. How can this congregation be a city set on a hill by working together? How can we turn this city, turn this world upside down by working together? Remember what Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand? If we're not together, we won't stand. We stand or fall based on whether or not we cooperate with one another, whether or not we're united, and whether or not we want to do what God would have us to do. We're going to do it together. Well, I hope and pray that 
you have helping hands. Moses needed helping hands. And you have that opportunity. In no way do I want you to take this lesson negatively. I want you to take it in a positive way. Because I think that what we need to do is realize we have a great work to do. And the Lord wants us to work together. And he wants us to build one another up. And in so doing, we, we will bring honor and glory to him. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe, maybe you're ready to offer your helping hands to the cause of Christ. Well, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his Son to die for your sins. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. Jesus went on to say, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, verse 11. If you would be willing to come to Jesus tonight in simple trusting faith, believing that he is the son of God, repenting of every sin, confessing his name before others, and being immersed in water, the assurance is that you will become among the redeemed. One of the redeemed. You will be a redeemed, cleansed child of the living God. And here's the beauty of it. If you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Maybe you haven't offered a helping hand. Maybe you've been part of the, part of the problem and not part of the solution. Well, if that's the case, we love you. God loves you. And we need you. And we want you to work with us for his cause. We would be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.